0: Chapter Nineteen of the House by the Churchyard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The House by the Churchyard by Joseph Sheraton Lefanu. Chapter Nineteen In Which the Gentlemen Follow the Ladies. Having had as much claret as they cared for. The gentleman fluttered gaily into the drawing-room, and Puddock, who made up to Miss Gertrude, and had just started afresh, and in a rather more sentimental vein, was a good deal scandalized, and put out by the general's reciting with jolly emphasis, and calling thereto his daughter's special attention, his receipt for surprising a weaver, which he embellished with two or three burlesque improvements of his own, which Puddock, Amidst his blushes and confusion, allowed to pass without a protest, Aunt Rebecca was the only person present who pointedly refused to laugh, and with a slight shudder and momentary elevation of her eyes, said wicked and unnatural cruelty at which sentiment put used his pocket-handkerchief in rather an agitated manner, "Tis a thing I've never done myself, that is, I've never seen it done." Said little Puddock, suffused with blushes, as he pleaded his cause at the bar of humanity. For those were the days of Howard, and the fair sex had taken up the philanthropist. the The receipt, tis you see a thing I happened to meet, and and just read it in the, in a book, and uh, I, uh, Aunt Becky with her shoulders raised in a shudder and an agonized and peremptory there 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 moved out of hearing in dignified disgust to the general's high entertainment who enjoyed her assaults upon innocent puddock and indeed took her attacks upon himself when executed with moderation hilariously enough a misplaced good-humor which never failed to fire aunt becky's just resentment indeed the general was so tickled with this joke that he kept it going for the rest of the evening by sly allusions and mischievous puns as for instance at supper when aunt rebecca was deploring the miserable depression of the silk manufacture and the distress of the poor protestant artisans of the liberty the general with a solemn wink at puddock and to that officer's terror came out with yet who knows lieutenant puddock what the weavers poor fellows may be surprised you know by a sudden order from the court as happened last year but aunt rebecca only raised her eyebrows and with a slight toss of her head looked sternly at a cold fowl on the other side. But for some cause or other, perhaps it was Miss Gertrude's rebellion in treating the outlawed Puttock with special civility that evening. Miss Becky's asperity seemed to acquire edge and venom as time proceeded. But Puttick rallied quickly. He was on the whole very happy and did not grudge Mervyn his share of the talk. Though he heard him ask leave to send Miss Gertrude Chatsworth a portfolio of his drawings made in Venice to look over, which he, with a smile, accepted, and at supper Puddock, at the general's instigation, gave them a solo, which went off pretty well, and as they stood about the fire after it, on a similar pressure, an imitation of Barry in Othello and upon this miss becky who was a furious partisan of smock alley theatre and mossop against barry woodward and the crow street playhouse went off again indeed this was a feud which just then divided the ladies of all dublin and the greater part of the country with uncommon acrimony crow street was set up she harangued to ruin the old house in the spirit of covetousness, you say. Puddick had not said a word on the subject. Well, covetousness, we have good authority for saying, is idolatry, nothing less. Idolatry, sir, you need not stare. Puddick certainly did stare. I suppose you once read your Bible, sir, but every sensible man, woman, child, and infant, sir, in the kingdom, knows it was malice and malice holy writ says is murder but i forgot that's perhaps no very great objection with lieutenant and little puddock flushed up and his round eyes grew rounder and rounder as she proceeded every moment and he did not know what to say for it had not struck him before that messrs barry's and woodward's theatrical venture might be viewed in the light of idolatry or murder so dumbfounded as he was he took half of lord chesterfield's advice in such cases that is he forgot the smile but he made a very low bow and with this submission the combat si rixa est subsided dangerfield had gone away some time so had mervyn Sturk and his wife went next and clough and puddock who lingered as long as was decent at last took leave the plump lieutenant went away very happy notwithstanding the two or three little rubs he had met with and a good deal more in love than ever and he and his companion were both thoughtful and the walk home was quite silent though very pleasant clough was giving shape mentally to his designs upon miss rebecca's twenty thousand pounds and savings he knew she had high offers in her young days and refused but those were past and gone and gray hairs bring wisdom and women grow more practicable as the time for action dwindles and she was just the woman to take a fancy and once the maggot bit to go any honest length to make it fact. And Clough knew that he had the field to himself, and that he was a well-made, handsome, agreeable officer, not so young as to make the thing absurd, yet young enough to inspire the right sort of feeling. To be sure, there were a few things to be weighed. She was perhaps, well, she was eccentric she had troublesome pets and pastimes he knew them all was well stricken in years and had a will of her own that was all but then on the other side was the money a great and agreeable arithmetical fact not to be shaken and she could be well-bred when she liked and a self-possessed dignified lady who could sail about a room and curtsy and manage her fan and lead the conversation and do the honours as mrs clough with a certain air of haut ton and in an imposing way to clough's entire content who liked the idea of overawing his peers and the two warriors side by side marched over the bridge in the starlight and both by common consent halted silently and wheeled up to the battlement and puddick puffed a complacent little sigh up the river toward belmont and clough was a good deal interested in the subject of his contemplation and in fact the more he thought of it the better he liked it and they stood each in his reverie looking over the battlement toward belmont and hearing the hushed roll of the river and seeing nothing but the deep blue and the stars and the black outline of the trees that overhung the bridge, until the enamoured Clough, who liked his comforts, and knew what gout was, felt the chill air, and remembered suddenly that they had stopped, and ought to be in motion toward their beds. And so he shook up Puddock, and they started anew, and parted just at the phoenix, shaking hands heartily. Like two men who had just done a good stroke of business together. End of chapter 19. Recording by John Brandon.